So they are two female entrepreneurs that I was friends with and they encouraged me to join EO like seven years before I joined and I totally should have listened to them. You know, it's always shoulda, woulda, coulda, but they both are women in fields where there are not a lot of women leading. Hello everyone, we are on My EO Education Podcast and today my guest is Karen Huff. How are you doing, Karen? I am great. How are you, Chris? I'm tremendous. Thank you. I was actually about to tell you the story, how yeah. I met Jay, who is helping us. To Our amazing producer today. Because <laughs> he's in the in the, he, he's in the shadow, he's in the backhand of this story but i wanted in one episode to tell the story how we met so actually we are friends for like 20 years now i think we met at at some russian language camp where actually jay met his wife current wife so we met and jay was really fascinated to become a developer a a programmer so he developed this podcast called developer wannabe to become uh, to kind of to register his journey to become a developer he didn't become a developer but he became quite renowned podcast producer <laughs> and, and and the story how we met we were we were running together a, a half marathon uh, in my city and we are you know hydrating preparing for this half marathon the night before and he says you need to try this podcast increase and you just because to do him a favor, I said, okay, 10 episodes and then we'll see. So now we did like over 150 together, which is which has been an amazing journey. So and, and you improvised, right? So that is a story of improvisation. He went to be one thing and then he went to be another <laughs> thing and he ran into you and it all happened. Actually, Karna, I have a feeling that most of my business career is art of improvisation. Yeah. Most entrepreneurs do. <laughs> Yeah. And I hope you will tell me the story. So let's start. Tell me how you started <laughs> your journey. Tell me about your art of improvisation, okay? Sure, sure. So I, I mean, I, I started performing as a five-year-old, <laughs> but but I didn't <laughs> so learn about... Early. Yeah, I know. I kind of came out that way, my mother says. Um, but I learned about improvisation at Yale when I was getting my undergrad degree. And it totally changed how I thought about not only performance but how I thought about being a friend and a daughter and, um, you know, a, a professional. And so I, after I graduated, I went straight to Chicago. I was very lucky. I got to train and perform with the Second City in Chicago. I also started my own improv troops after that. I did a ton of theater and TV and film. I mean, I had a wonderful career. I had a great agent as a professional actor and improviser. And and it was fantastic. And then there's always this weird thing. Like you just said, there's this moment that something happens. And I got an offer when I was in New York to join a technology startup, a network engineering startup. And I remember thinking they're completely... they, They can't possibly want to do this. They've made a mistake but they did want to work with me and um, it was sort of transferable skills, right? They wanted me to run their sales department. Mm. And so 
as a good improviser, you say yes. You jump into stuff that <laughs> makes you totally scared and ner- nervous, right? And and so I learned all about the technology startup world because I was taking engineering classes every night and I was improvising every day. And what I found is that those skills as an improviser allowed me to be way more successful than even my colleagues who had been doing what they were doing for years. Um, so, so that was the beginning of me thinking about, wow, I'm, I'm really, I'm really using all these skills. How do I make this happen? And, and I also didn't want to do it anecdotally, right? My husband is a big skeptic. I knew I would run into skeptics in the world. I would have to convince them. And so the Wharton Business School at the University of Pennsylvania allowed me to do my first research with them. So we were testing the idea that we could use improvisation in professional training and then seeing what would occur next. And we worked with psychologists and people in the organizational dynamics uh, area at Wharton. It was a very, very exciting time when we were developing this. And we were also the very first company in the world to say, let's combine improv with training and make it something completely new. So it's been amazing. And since that time, so much has happened. Most of the people understand what is a theater, being an actor. I also have some experience to do this role-playing games, like that we dress for dwarves or elves, and sure, that yeah. I know. <laughs> we got to but... see that sometime. I want to see that costume. <laughs> <laughs> but... Could you tell me more what is actually the improv method? How does it work and how do you apply it to to the uh, to the professional trainings? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So improv in its purest state is an art form where about five or six actors come on stage and we do not have a script. Okay? We don't have props, we don't have costumes or makeup or any of the normal tools of theater. What we have is each other and about an hour and a half of time to fill in front of a live audience that's either gonna laugh or enjoy it or not. And so a lot of people feel like that's the scariest thing they could ever imagine. And to me, it was it was the most exciting kind of theater I ever did. Because in your troupe, in your improv troupe, you have a huge amount of trust. There are a lot of rules and guidelines that you follow to be successful, which is a lot like business. It's a lot like life. And the more that you do improv, the more you put yourself out into that incredibly uncomfortable, risky situation, the better you become. So literally I could, I could sing entire songs that sounded like they were from Broadway that I just made up in my head. I could do total scenes and my partners would come in and we'd create entire plays out of thin air that were funny and had a beginning, middle and end and had a moral. Um, It's a, it's a muscle that you exercise and that Interest in the unknown and the and change and taking risk smartly and leaning on your team members and being agile. These are all lessons that really great teams in corporate settings can use. So okay, okay, yeah. I understand that you were a professional actress yeah. and you are very educated in being in front of the camera, in front of the group of people. But how does it work that you have a CEO of Okay, let's take it a little bit theoretical. Sure. But uh, there we have ITC, IT company CEO. So the guy who is not very good with soft skills, not very good, he has never improvised. Like, how do you make it work? <laughs> yeah. So at Improv Edge, we call it comfortable discomfort. And we have spent the bulk of our research time because we research with a lot of universities. 
making sure that no matter where a person is on their scale of comfort, they can come into a workshop and find a place where they can just take one step out. Like we're not asking them to go from zero to 60. We just want them to go from like one to two or one to four and try something new because a lot of people think that there are skills you're born with or not, and you can never have them. And I think that is absolutely untrue. I think you can learn to stretch in almost any way if you're in a situation where it's safe. So we give them a situation um, over, you know, normally we work with teams over nine months to a year and they have the opportunity to try things they've never tried. And then they apply those behaviors to better ways to manage in the workplace. So we work with a ton of IT professionals. So, so many, you would not, I think a lot of people think that our training is for extroverts, like, you know, advertising, folks, but actually the bulk of our clients are engineers, attorneys, accountants, IT professionals, uh, technology professionals, people who often feel less comfortable in the spotlight, but they also have to be really effective on a team. They sometimes have to negotiate contracts. They have to be able to handle a very uncomfortable, difficult conversation, maybe with a peer or maybe with someone that they have to give performance feedback to. Um, they also have to understand how to manage in moments of crisis and change, which we all had to just go through in spades. How do you respond in that situation and remain confident and capable? And how do you also understand how to manage the situation? Does, right. does that make more sense, okay. Chris? I, I will have more questions. So, okay. so do they have a script to like what they want to achieve during this scene? Or is it they have kind of mission to accomplish? What is what is the scenario they're playing? Yeah. So there are sometimes that we use scenarios and believe it or not, sometimes we just use simple improv games because it's about connecting their ability to think through something with a physical feeling. And then we can take that into an intellectual place later that helps them put all the dots together. Like we're, if we're doing strategy work with a CEO team, for example, the games actually help them think bigger, help them think more broadly, for example, about what they want to accomplish. It removes them from the workspace and puts them in the play space, which is highly, highly effective, as we know in our research around what makes people effective. Um, and and I, I guess, too, it we work very closely with their stakeholders to create something that's going to lead to the behaviors that want to be seen, right? So if a team or organization want to achieve something, we identify those behaviors and then the entire design leads toward building those up. Okay, you mentioned something very important for the business world, which is achieving something, being results oriented, having stakeholders. My company, Escola, is, is a public company. We have like 400 investors, individual and institutional. So whenever I want and I, I come to say, oh, I'm going to spend $10,000 for this improvisation training, they want they, they are going to say, yeah, Chris, very funny. But what results are you going to achieve with that? So that is my question. Like people want want results from training so how what is the setup how what are the goals you're trying to achieve typically yeah so we're trying to achieve human behavioral goals <clears throat> a lot of those have to do with resilience um with ability to feel confident in very difficult situations with ability to handle um uh everything from better sales to better marketing to better uh, strategy 
And so we pre, mid, and post measure, we absolutely hit the ROI very hard. We often call it ROO, Chris, return on objective. So we have extremely clear objectives from our stakeholders. We set up surveys to make sure that we have hit that. And we, we actually deliver um, impact documents after the work that we do. So we measure, measure, measure all the time. And it, it is tough to measure human behavior. The way we do that is we have them self-measure. We have someone else measure where they think they are, and then we show how they have achieved better results. So, I mean, from companies, from startups like Impossible Foods to companies that have been around for a long time, like Nationwide Insurance or even government, we've worked with the Department of Commerce, for example, worldwide. Uh, we're able to say, your team started here. You are now seeing and achieving better behavioral goals. You're getting better efficiencies from your team. You're getting better outcomes, for example, from a sales team because of going through this. Mm -hmm. Okay, I need to ask you last, very last clarification questions as we do in EO in forum. So what I heard you saying is that it is a process. It's not that someone should await, expect that one-off I'm coming to you and there is one short training and then I achieved the results. It's usually a process over several weeks or even months, you said. So this is this is a really interesting uh, differentiator, I feel, for us. So our shortest engagement is a one-hour keynote or a one-hour virtual webinar. And they are highly engaging, and we've actually been able to measure results from that short a period of time because people are so engaged and if we pick one thing for them to learn and to try, we can do that in an hour. And we do it very, very effectively. Plus, you know, for big conferences, they love a speaker, me or anyone in my ensemble who really gets people excited and has them active. Uh, it goes literally from that small of an amount of time all the way through not only just a year-long leadership development program, but we're with some companies now for 12 years, that every year we start over, everyone that graduates goes into alumni network, the alumni network supports the new people coming in, we have programs for them, and it's all based on how do we remain culture-focused, agile, confident leaders. Okay, this is amazing. <laughs> but I want to touch this, the thing you mentioned about, about keynote speaking, that's the thing that is really, interesting for most of EOers how to impress people over 10 minutes to stay focused for an hour um, if you could share your experience like how you achieved these skills to to be passionate as they are sitting and listening to you yeah well you know my second book uh, I'm, I'm an Amazon best-selling author of three books and my second one we'll come to that we'll yeah come to yeah that. So, it's specifically <laughs> about that right so I mean mm -hmm. I, and there's lots of other I, things that are wonderful around there but the things that I would remind people of is you whatever you are that's authentically you is probably very very interesting to people so the first thing I tell people is don't try to be a carbon copy of someone else, right? You want to be who you are authentically, show up in an honest way, and people will love it because you'll be yourself. You'll talk about what matters to you. You'll be able to show your passion. So the first thing is don't try to be like somebody else because it's not as interesting as being who you are. And, and then also thinking about who your audience is. For us, the audience is always first as improvisers. We want to know 
How are they feeling tonight? You know, what are they responding to? What's interesting to them? And I tailor everything I do to the audience. I've never done the same keynote twice. Maybe the same topic, but I learn everything I can about who's in the audience so that I can think about, well, what stories do I want to tell? And what games do I want to play? And, uh, you know, for my keynotes, I bring volunteers up on stage and have them play games with me, you know, because that's part of improv. <laughs> so it's true to my practice. It's true to me. Okay, that's a good hint. Thank you for that. So uh, you, you mentioned your second book. Um, you know, I was always thinking how these busy people managed to squeeze the time to write books. And you wrote three. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wrote my PhD thesis, which was about 200 pages long. And that was the last long text I've written. And I cannot imagine to find time to do that again. So tell me how you did it. <laughs> you know, Chris, now that you did it that way, I honestly have no idea. I think <laughs> I was also, for the first couple, I still had three children in the house at that time. It, it amazes me. I, You know, you number one, you have an editor. If you work with a publisher, you have an editor that keeps you on track. Uh, I learned things like three hours was the shortest chunk of time that I could do effective work. So it had to be three hours or more. And I had to leave the office and not have any ability to see email or anything else. I had to go do that work. And I am I am just a doer. I'm, a, I'm results oriented. So if I had to get 10 pages done that day, I wasn't leaving till that 10 pages were done. Right. Um, and and I think the big thing, too, is I have an amazing spouse. My husband, Todd, is incredible and he was really supportive. Uh it does a book. A book takes about a year. Each of them takes take about a year. So balancing keeping your business running and writing that book and putting so much into that creative endeavor is a lot. So just just be prepared. I think I think one of the best ways to write a book uh, is to have a blog where you're doing just a few paragraphs at a time. And pretty soon, over a year, it won't be as stressful. You'll have all this content. Right. So you said some important tips for me so stay really focused so no emails no distractions no whatsapp stay in that separated area where you know you do this third have at least three hours so you actually can go to this deep focus phase and go out of it and and there is fourth thing we said to that requires true determination which is you stay until you're done of course, there is a little star says disclaimer saying, "Have a husband who takes care of kids." Well, I'm actually the word, yeah, which I was really like, he works too, right? He's also an entrepreneur, so we're a double entrepreneur family. It's a little wacky. Oh, okay, okay, uh, but I understand that being well-known author helps to elevate a business a lot because people know who you are; they know why your method is so unique right it it was a great elevation for us um it, and actually it also provides a real foundation for us internally so everyone that works with improv edge whether they're a contractor or a staff employee has read those books and it's become a way for them to understand why our culture is the way it is um, and, and having a great place to work and having an incredibly strong culture is something we're super proud of, um, in that 
I've even had people take less money to come on board here because they wanted to work with mm-hmm. us so much. So that's to me one of my I'm most proud mm-hmm. of that. Did you put also in the book besides the method? Did you put the core values that are important for your company? Can you name them? Can you name yes, them? Yes, our four principles, right? Are uh, yes space, which is about the positive. Yes, yes space is around the fact that improv is built in yes and. Okay. The second building blocks, team equity and oops to Eureka. Those are the four. So yes space is about positivity. Building blocks is the and of yes and. It's about building on each other's ideas and sometimes having to let your idea go to help a colleague. Team equity is about having an inclusive, diverse, challenging ensemble around you of people who really have different strengths. And then oops to Eureka is the belief that we have to keep the scientist mindset. I was just reading Adam Grant's latest book and he talks about the scientist mindset, which is so real for us and has been for several decades in that, you know, stuff changes, stuff goes wrong. You get surprised by wonderful things sometimes and you have to deal with change in a way that's more about going, wow, that's that's interesting. What do we try now? Instead of, oh my gosh, change, you know, run away. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm really excited about this business. I, I wish you were in Poland to do these trainings. I mean, we can do it online possibly. It's, it's, yeah, we it's, have it's actually, really we have, curious. we've worked with clients in mm-hmm. Poland. Mm-hmm. But there is a sec- second part of the podcast I need to now switch to, which is the little discussion. I always try to engage my guests about educational system, okay? Which is a difficult discussion. We, we have it with our neighbors, with our friends. Everyone is very opinionated about this. So how do you find the, the US American, the, the American uh, education system as it is now. What is your opinion? What are the right pros now, and cons? Um, yeah. Well, number one, it's always been way too laden with tests. Test, 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 test. Standardized tests, national tests, local tests. It, it it's very driven by testing, and I find that super sad because I think a lot of teachers have started just teaching toward the test um, rather than teaching for great learning. Uh, I also think that there's a lot of forces that want to limit what's allowed to be seen. And I think the more information, the better. Um, as long as you can have an honest conversation about it, that's the key. That uh, that information, that books, that ideas should be shared so that we can have all the information. And then we can make choices about how we want to live and what we want to do. So... Those to me are are incredibly important. I wish there was more doing in our education. And I meet wonderful teachers all the time, especially having kids who went through a public school system. I'm a big supporter, met so many fantastic teachers who were doing incredible stuff and probably could have done a lot more if they had had less restrictions. Right. So less bureaucracy in schools would be also kind of your... Hmm. Is there something like perfect education system? Is there anything that you would change immediately besides what you just said? Oh, well, perfect is is a matter of opinion, right? I would change though. I would love it if education for adults was more about doing than sitting and listening in a lecture hall. I wish I wish that we we also got to play with toys and that we also used our creativity. There are so many things, for example, like 
if adults in uh, college classrooms use multicolored pens to take their notes, their retention improves significantly just by having something colorful affect their brain. And we learn every day more about neuroscience and about how humans need to interact with their environment to really take it in. So if people were collaborating more or using their hands for something or being creative in their learning rather than sitting and listening all the time, um, just using their visual and just their hearing, I think it would be magnificent. Hmm. And, I, and the last one question about educational system. You were also studying in uh, Paris in La Sorbonne. And what are the major differences you notice between US and French system? Of course, this is probably the best, one of the best universities in Europe, but still, yeah. what, 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 what was your observation? What have you noticed? Oh, I loved it. It was, I think that it was very, um, it was also very specific about what should be learned and had an entire canon of information that they felt that you should know, which, which I didn't have a problem with. I loved having expectations to be better, to know more, to try harder. Um, and I, I would only say that there might have been um, a little more discussion in the French classroom mm. than there was in the American classroom. Hmm. I see. Okay. Thank you for for your thoughts on, on the education system. It's for me very fascinating topic. Actually, I will I will tell you some. Uh, something that that was also part of my doing. I was working for about two years in a Polish Ministry of Education, and that was the time when we almost finished our quite a long reform of education system, and and it was very effective. It brought us from mediocre results in PISA tests, OECD tests, to top ten uh, educational systems, and there was like huge research how it happened. Uh, then like. A couple of years ago, another uh, government came and said, yeah, let's do it backwards. So I'm really curious about the results in a couple of years, because as you know, it takes time. Uh, but there is a big sentiment and they said, yeah, people prefer the old way. Uh, there was no research confirming that. And neither in happiness of the students that they preferred the previous system more, uh, nor in the uh, in the results they present, but still there is you know this kind of common sense of of people who are voting that they prefer one over another. So that was that's that's it was why for me it is a very interesting topic to discuss because it is measurable. It is partly measurable the effectiveness of the system. Uh, agreed. Absolutely. And, and I think that there's probably some arguments to be made. For example, maybe the old system had more efficiencies. It might have been easier to deliver. Who knows? And that's great. And I, I feel like there shouldn't be a, a one or the other approach. Okay. If, if some people are feeling they want to bring great things from the old system, well, let's, let's say why and let's combine them rather than saying, well, one or the other. Right. Yeah, and, and whenever I ask this question, there is always the same argument about school not keeping the pace with the changes that we are undergoing, you know, with this revolution with G, uh, GPT, uh, AI and everything. I quite think that, the, the, like, learning a language in 10, 20 years would be something totally different because the automatic translation will work so effectively, uh, you know, 
there are so many things that they're going to change, the skills that they will be required uh, in 20 years, that is hard to predict. And, and school has problems to keep the pace. I have another set of questions. First of them is about your favorite book that you want to share with fellow EORs that everyone should read besides your books. <laughs> okay, that, I think that, can we not say favorite? Because I love so many books. I don't know if I could ever choose a favorite. Can okay, I the choose? one you want to recommend to other EORs can be two. Okay. <laughs> okay, can I can you do two? Okay. I would absolutely recommend Mindset by Carol Dweck, Dr. Carol Dweck. Uh, everyone's probably read it at this point, but I continue to feel like it's such a breakthrough text on how we think and how we take in the world based on uh, all sorts of, of probabilities and preferences. So I thought her work was magnificent. I also love the book Play by Dr. Stuart Brown. And uh, I used that pretty extensively in my writing because he looked at the fact that play, which, which is what a lot of our work is based on, it's based on the idea that we need to get up and play together in order to achieve greater results is because he was able to see it as um, and prove that it is necessary for many species to play in order to survive, hmm. including us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the skill that adults somehow lose. Or what I notice some sometimes we need to be said, okay, now it is time to play. Okay, so you go for a party. Okay, now it is time to dance. Now it is time to do some <laughs> improvisation. Like you don't do it by your own. Why? Why not? Why don't you just dance or start yeah. playing some games just for no reason? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Children it's do it all the time. <laughs> right? Yeah. How about a person that influenced your business to the extent that you truly pivoted it, totally shifted your business? Yeah. Can I pick two again? <laughs> Uh, I thought a lot about, there are a lot of very famous people that I could choose. And I would say two that I owe so much to are actually right here in Columbus, Ohio. So Michelle Kerr, who is the founder and CEO of Lightwell that was just acquired. And also Kara Trott, who is the founder and CEO. Actually, she's now a board chair because she sold it as well of Quantum Health. So they are two female entrepreneurs that I was friends with. And they encouraged me to join EO like, Seven years before I joined, and I totally should have listened to them. You know, it's always shoulda, woulda, coulda. But they both are women in fields where there are not a lot of women leading. Michelle is in technology, and Kara is in healthcare. And they built companies, grew them to these amazing heights, sold them sometimes multiple times, and uh, have been able to just do such incredible things. It's really inspiring for me to not only get to watch that, but get to talk to them and be friends with them and learn from them. Yes, it's, it's, it's so great that thanks to EO, we see people who achieve great things. And once we entered the organization, we I, at least I had this feeling that maybe I'm one of this great group. Maybe I'm also quite good at this. <laughs> you know, I, I I have been suffering this imposter syndrome quite a quite a lot, and you know, really, business, why? Oh, I know, like daily struggle is so difficult because most of the things, at least in my uh, case, most of the things that 
come to me are problems. <laughs> because, you know, if they're not problems, they are solved on the way. But if they're really gro growing to the big problem, like the, the client is really annoyed with how we're solving some issue, that it will eventually come to me uh, because that kind of the middle management failed. So therefore, on daily basis, I'm not quite happy with the business, but, you know, like everywhere, the financial results are really good. And also the... the yeah, you, you told me about that. You've had a challenging day to day, haven't you, Chris? You brought that up when we were chatting beforehand. Exactly. That that most of the things that come to the CEO, they're probably omitted by the middle management. So on the daily basis, we do not feel, at least I don't feel that I'm doing a great job, but like last two years, the, the Deloitte is a consulting company. They named us like first fastest growing and 10 fastest growing company in Central Europe. So then I, I was so surprised that we are like, are we growing really that fast? And I was really surprised getting this prize. And this is this is quite a rare experience I get. And I have this experience in EO that there's so many great people that at some point I, I started thinking about me, I'm also quite a good founder. Maybe I'm doing a good job. <laughs> that's that's you know, not that easy. Don't you think that your forum does that for you too? Because I, I find often in forum, someone, you know, we bring our problems to forum often to talk mm, about yeah, and get, yes. ideas, get some experience shares. And every now and then <clears throat> someone in forum or, or I or whoever will stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's just recognize all the amazing stuff that you've done in the last six months and they'll list it. And it's it's so helpful to have those people who are also looking at the good stuff and reminding you of everything you've accomplished. Because we just, you know, we're so high strung and we keep moving on to the next thing as entrepreneurs, don't you think? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. When when we do this 5%, I try to do one positive and one negative thing in every section. So family, uh, work and personal life. But as you said, most of the times you do not bring, okay, I, was, I had a great uh, week with my wife and that was important because of the... You don't get it to the parking lot for the discussion. Like you don't deep dive good things. Why not? You should probably deep dive it and say like how to have more of the good things, not to focus on the problems. Well, that's the, <laughs> that's so true. Have you ever heard of appreciative inquiry? AI. So appreciative inquiry is a really wonderful uh, format that's been used a lot in training and coaching. And I love it. I've used it for decades. And it has to do with focusing on what is working and what is right, as opposed to focusing on the problems. And the idea is that whatever you focus upon will grow. So even in a problem situation, even with a team that's having a ton of issues, we always start with what's going right. What is your team doing well? What is their strength? Hmm. Yeah, because we should focus on the problems to eliminate them. But on the other hand, do this appreciation of the good things to do more of these. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hmm. Okay, two last questions to you, Karen. And it is about your vision and future of, of uh, improv ad. How do you see it uh, in case of 2025 and 2030? Ooh, ooh. Oh, it's, it's just... I always see it big and I see lots of people. First of all, I see lots of happy people working at Improv Edge. So culture for me, um, 
we call ourselves an ensemble, not a team. We we are very much into our values that we live them and breathe them every single day. So that's really exciting. And I hope to see all the people in the right seats that that are the right fit for their jobs, that they're living their best life at Improv Edge internally. So that's number one. And then secondarily, I see us continuing to push the envelope around what adult and corporate learning can be, that it's more and more engaging, um, that our platform, our LMS has grown significantly, and yet we still do a ton of work in person and live, you know, virtually, and that people are learning and changing and feeling confident because our purpose, the reason that we're here is that we believe everyone deserves to have a fantastic day at work with a team and a leader that is agile, improvisational, and inclusive. And wouldn't it be a wonderful world if everybody could go to work and that could be their environment? And that's what we're out to deliver. Right. Do you, you said about this online, offline. Yeah. How do you see it after COVID? Is it now coming back totally to the offline classes or is no. it remaining hybrid? Or how, 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 how is it impacting your business? So, so this is actually a really big deal that you would touch on that. We have spent the last, uh, you know, we started using video over 10 years ago. So we were uniquely qualified to really thrive during the pandemic, which we did. We grew significantly. And we have been studying the data around how people feel in the different environments and the different platforms and how they're effective or they're not. And we just got the results back. We've been working with a research firm for over a year. I promised I would tell this, uh, we're getting the first results back on our surveys around um, that hybrid world and success in the future of work. And uh, we have got five key markers for that. We're gonna be continuing to study this and I'm really excited to announce all of this at some point in 2023 uh, as a whole new way of thinking about the future of work, how you measure efficacy, and then how you go about making sure teams are doing really well. It's a it's a, um, a way to be effective no matter the platform, whether you are asynchronous, like a recorded moment, if you are synchronous, but maybe some people are in the room with you and some people are virtual, or if you are totally in person. And really the, the reality is that we will always be some version of hybrid because people who say, oh, well, I'm all in the office still have calls with their clients on video right so you're still hybrid sure. even though your team is around <laughs> exactly yeah. um okay karen I, you also speaking about the future you mentioned i'm not sure whether you can share it online it will be published in a couple of weeks about the this major change of the for your company about the um kind of new branding you're planning can you share this yeah, so we we did a lot of super user interviews, our best clients, to find out. We realized that what they call us is their best kept secret. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm like, wow, I want to stop being a secret. Can we just like let more people know that we exist? So mm -hmm. uh, in addition to this amazing research that it's going to be a little bit longer before that really is surfaced, uh, but we are rebranding. So in the next few weeks, we'll have a new website, we'll have a new logo, we'll have a new way of coming out to the market of talking about who we are. So if any of you listening to this podcast, if you could take a peek and just let us know what you think, absolutely unvarnished truth, we would so appreciate it. Okay, so we have Connectio, we have our WhatsApp group still running. So let know, Karen, how you find the changes 
um, she has done to to the branding and and let's share let's share okay and uh, the last question is exactly about this how do you expect EO can help you do this amazing growth and to achieve your goals I want partners I want partners. It's that easy. I, I think that collaboration is something that comes naturally to an improviser. And I bet there are a ton of EO companies that <clears throat> we could we could be a wonderful latch on to something that they do, or they could be a wonderful latch on to something that I do. I just haven't found them yet, but I am excited to learn more about my education partners and maybe someone who's not even in education business that we could work together to create something even more impressive for all of our clients. I want partnerships. I want to find companies and people that want to collaborate and build something cool and different together. Okay, so I can finish this up. I have really nice hat that says on this <laughs> side, co-create. So yeah. let's co-create. Okay. Thank you, Karen Haas, for um, joining my podcast, My EO Education and sharing your thoughts. And I wish you to achieve greatness in all in future. Oh, same to you, Chris. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a blast. Uh, you're very inspirational yourself and, and you're being amazing. So just believe that. <laughs>